for all you listeners out there, I'm going to go ahead and give you a, a heads up. Terrell's going to make this one interesting this evening. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome back to the 2G1C podcast, not your typical talk show. I appreciate you turning in, tuning in and would love any commentary or feedback left on my Instagram or Twitter at 2G1C podcast, all one word. Tonight on the podcast, we will talk about the fantasy greatness of the NFC South quarterbacks, the Ravens' success in the red zone, knock on wood, and so much more provoked from a crazy week three. We will also present our weekly preview and picks for the upcoming week. Now that you have listened to me for two weeks, I owe you a quick explanation for the name. As I state every episode, this won't be your typical sports talk show playing right into the hands of the two girls, one cup, but that's with two Ps which is my longtime fantasy football name. This reference will also speak to the fact I will always have two guests and one cup myself. With that being said, tonight we have two returning customers. In the left corner, we have Mr. Eurostep himself, Tom Terrell. And in the right corner, the multi-time Beer Olympics medalist, Dennis Linker. Uh, for all of you out there, do your best to find Mr. Eurostep on Instagram. And go follow Dennis at, at DennisLinker.com. For an easy segue into our preview or, or recap of week three, I'll give you a little bit of music from the big timers. For all you listeners out there, I hope you you enjoy that. I know it's a throwback that I myself enjoy, but we will move on to the week three recap, starting with the Baltimore Ravens. Partway through the game, they were 11 for 11 in the red zone, all of which were touchdowns. What would we like to dedicate their success to? I think it can be contributed to the O-line play so far. Um, You look at last year, Yonda went out for the season pretty early. That was a huge hit. You know, that's year in and year out. Pro Football Focus is number one rated guard. Um, So I think this year, you know, having those five guys together, you know, Stanley's coming into his own, Yonda, you know, all those guys are really playing well together. And um, I know they're really helping the offense move the ball. And, and, uh, I mean, the second thing is Joe has weapons you can trust. Um, You got Crabtree, who's – you know, top five in touchdown catches in the past, like, four or five years. John Brown, he's got good chemistry with so far. So he's got weapons around him, finally, that he can trust. So I think that's really helping them out, you know, score every time they're down there. Yeah, speaking of that as well, weapons, 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 weapons. He's finally got some professionals playing wide receiver. we got some guys who can run routes, and they're enabling Marty Morningweek to fully implement his scheme, albeit flawed as it may be. I don't know how Marty still continues to get jobs. I will speak to the fact, though, that his wife is gorgeous. Waited on them at Ruth's Chris multiple times. Marty, Marty's doing very well for himself. Um, it shows that money can buy happiness. As Dennis spoke, uh, the offensive line is playing 
surprisingly well in the red zone. When you look at the pro football focus ratings, you wouldn't anticipate they were playing all that great anywhere on the field. But surprisingly, they're getting the job done. One of the highest ranked players on our offense is actually Joe, which is always a, a highlight that, that as Ravens fans, we like to see. He, he is definitely not our shining star most of the time. But when you do put weapons around him, he seems to be able to make some plays. I've been enjoying uh, the way he's handled himself in two very wet games so far in the season. As they speak about many times in the national broadcast, it's because he's got mitts. You know, he's got some big hands. He's a, he's a large character. Helps him, to, helps him to grip the ball a little bit better in the rain. So, you know, uh, I think play calling helps a little bit. But, yeah, having some playmakers opens the field up a little bit and gives Collins some more lanes to run. That being said, uh, just, just quickly, how satisfied are, are we as Ravens fans in getting past that sort of Matt Stover area, era of offense where we pretty much relied on field goals in the red zone? I mean, I'm highly satisfied. It it's a sharp contrast from what it has been. Personally, growing up, in, growing up in the Baltimore area, I've never been one to actually enjoy a Ravens game. I've been a red zone guy. Um, you're not going to catch me wasting most of my day watching just one game and it being a boring one at that. And that's what Ravens games have been. So it's exciting to finally have a professional product on the offensive side of the ball. Um, we've got weapons. We've got, as I said before, we've got real pros playing wide receiver. Crab being, you know, the... The exemplary example of that double entendre. Uh, so it's great. I enjoy it. Um, I will lament that Ronnie Stanley and his complete lack of muscle tone is is troubling. I don't think he's going to age well. I mean, guys, next week, do me a favor, take a look at him on camera. He is one of the least impressive specimens I've seen. You know, he's great. Long arms fits the prototype, but you know, God, he has the muscle tone of a fourteen-year-old. And in the first drive of that Broncos game, Bradley Chubb absolutely torched him for his first career sack. Yeah, I think uh, you could call Ronnie a little soft, but he's playing well. Um, but, uh, no, to go off Tom said, I mean, back in the day, uh, I remember 2000 year, they won the Super Bowl and they went, I think it was four or five games without scoring a touchdown. So we've come a long way from when we were kind of accustomed to having a, a bottom 10 offense to now – we can have a, a solid offense that can keep up with our usually pretty solid defense. It's an interesting storyline coming up is going to be seeing Hayden Hurst try to get work back into the fold. It, to me, it's really going to be tough to to reduce the amount of snaps that Mark Andrews is going to get. He is really flashed as an athlete, as a natural pass catcher down the field, and he's been an so far adequate blocker in the run game. He's scored at a 76.2 on Pro Football Focus, marking him as a top 10 tight end in the league. Already, albeit small sample size, but Mark's playing really well. Maybe we're going to transition to some more two tight end sets. I don't know what Marty's got in store, but it speaks to a lot of people's concern about the drafting of a 25-year-old tight end in the first round when we pulled a guy out in the third round from Oklahoma, the Mackey Award winner this past year, the National Tight End of the Year. Spent very little draft capital on him compared to Hurst. Some who would call him mentally weak. He had the yips. So we'll see if it transfers to football eventually. I don't know. Um, we'll see if the big ginger produces. As you can tell, Terrell does watch a lot of red zone because otherwise he would know that two and three tight end sets are the thing that the Ravens 
probably run the most of. So that's how Andrews has managed to put some statistics on the board. He has started very well. Uh, as Terrell mentioned, he is at a 76.2 in pro football focus, which is the highest ranked player on our offense currently, uh, just a little bit higher than Joe Flacco. So yes, for me, it is nice to have moved past the Matt Stover era and into the Justin Tucker era where we just have to use him when we absolutely need to. Um, with all of that being said, do we actually think that they can keep this up as far as the red zone, as far as their success in general? Uh, are we going to see the team that showed up against the Bengals more frequently? Or could we see the team that has showed up against the uh, very poor Bills and uh, Broncos team that, that didn't play so well on Sunday? I think, the, I think the Bengals game was a bit of anomaly. It's, you know, a short turnaround week on a Thursday. You're traveling. So really only have a couple of days to prepare with travel and everything. So I think that was a, a bit of a, you know, out of the normal for them. I think the true test will be this Sunday. Um, playing in Pittsburgh this Sunday night, Steelers-Ravens rivalry. So we'll really see what they're made of, you know, going into that environment and, and playing, you know, a, a pivotal game early in the year. Yeah, Cincinnati seemed to be a bit of an aberration. They got behind the eight ball so quickly. Um, it seems as if through three weeks the Ravens have yet to be be able to establish any sort of run game. So that's going to be a big factor moving forward for these guys. Um, th- obviously, they're not going to maintain this torrid pace they have so far in the red zone. It's you know regression of the mean is going to be a, is going to is going to happen. <laughs> Joe is Joe. We know who he is. He's got better weapons. We're going to see a marked improvement, but uh, he's not going to turn into Brady or Breeze all of a sudden. Uh, that's a very valid point, and that's when the, the elite conversation always comes in for Joe. Me personally, I'm kind of over that conversation. I think any any Ravens fan, any true Ravens fan that has any knowledge of the game understands that he is not necessarily elite, but he can win football games. Uh, me personally, I, I think they could keep it up, maybe not to this extent. Uh, as far as the red zone goes, obviously, I, that would be just – damn near impossible for them to keep it up but just success in general I could see them continuing on in the year uh, at the pace that they are currently as long as they can show up on defensive side of the ball which which did scare me for the first couple of drives against the Broncos but yes I, I, I still have a lot of faith in the Ravens sticking with the AFC North and everything that is going on with the Steelers and the the quarterback change in Cleveland, the, the Cincinnati Bengals showing up as one team one week and a, and another uh, the next. Who do we sort of see as our AFC front front runner at, at this point? It's something. It's really tough to forecast that thus far. Pittsburgh has not played well. They've been sloppy. Um, one of the top penalized teams in the league. Cincinnati and Baltimore look strong. We don't know what the heck's going to go on with Baker. Um, I'm confident in Baker. I think it's really tough this early in the year to predict what's going to happen. First four games of the season are pretty much the preseason. These guys don't practice. We're not allowed to have much work done in the offseason. They're still figuring out the rules with the rough and the passer stuff. I mean, it's you know we're hearing all different things from all different angles about whether they're going to revise the rules, whether they're going to have a meeting to examine how they call it. So I think it's a little early to um, predict who the front runner is going to be, but 
to me, the homer in me is going to say Baltimore so, so far by a slim margin. But this Sunday, it's going to be uh, very indicative of where, where we're headed. Slap hands. Slap hands. Yeah, I think I, I'd have to say Baltimore by a very small margin right now. Um, but the Steelers did get Audie Burns and Joe Hayden back. And you could tell that was a different-looking defense last night. Um, than what they had shown previous in the season. Um, you know, them getting shredded a few games through the air. You know, you add those two guys back to that. I think that's going to be a, a big change for them moving forward, and they're going to kind of right that ship on the defensive side. So I'd say Ravens by a real small margin right now. But, you know, like they said, Sunday is going to be a, a huge telling tale. I don't personally ever think that you can count the Steelers out. They're a, a flashy team when they decide to turn the offense on. Antonio Brown at times is uncoverable. Even without Le'Veon, they seem to not really be skipping a beat on the offensive side of the ball. And the emergence of Juju. Juju's really, he's, he's playing great, to be honest. Yeah, that is. Uh, I believe he's gone for over 100 yards in all three games so far. He, I also believe, is the heaviest targeted player on their offense uh, he's really working that slot and, and there doesn't seem to be many slot corners safeties or linebackers that are ever going to be able to match up with him now and look at his prorated stats over the last 16 games Juju's called over 1800 yards he's yeah. really showing up him and Ben are finding a really great comfort zone and maybe alienating a B with that being said Juju is currently ranked as 76.3 in pro football focus so he is currently their highest ranked player so as Terrell said he's doing some things that that some people may not have necessarily expected as far as the front runner goes as I said the Steelers always have to be in the conversation the emergence of Baker could sort of change some things up in Cleveland so I don't think you can necessarily count them out but that sort of has to be your outlier the, the Bengals, I never have very much confidence in them. Uh, he, he was a Ranga. That's, that's where I'll leave it. And, and the Ravens, I, they scare me. Uh, I'm a homer, but I can't necessarily ride with them. But I, I will have to say, if I had to choose a front runner, it's going to be Baltimore or Pittsburgh. And you know what I will say, to be honest, in terms of talent, the Ohio teams in the AFC North, when it comes to names jumping off paper to you and individual players who really scare you, Cincinnati and Cleveland, I feel, I mean, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Baltimore even have more than the than the Steelers. The Steelers are so top heavy, but over, overall roster wise, Cleveland Cleveland seems to be a very strong roster, and so does Cincinnati on defense as well. But if Baker can be that steadying force, I think they can really make some noise moving forward. We got to see him play on the road. We got to see how Baker plays out over time. But that's a, that's a talented roster. The Baker conversation will present a very easy transition to the next topic. After seeing Marcus Mariota for a short period of time in this past week's game and, and, you know, seeing him perform at a similar level as Blaine Gabbert and Jameis Winston coming back this week, potentially coming back to start this week, at this point, who may be the bigger bigger bust, Mariota or Winston? And I will present you guys with some statistics. Mariota's record currently is 20 and 23 as a starter. He has a completion percentage of 61.8 percent, 58 touchdowns, 36 interceptions, a quarterback rating of 87.7, and nine rushing touchdowns. 
whereas Winston is 18 and 27 as a starter with a 60.8 completion percentage, 69 touchdowns, 44 interceptions, an 87.2 quarterback rating, and one less rushing touchdown with just eight. I think both have been pretty disappointing so far. Um, I think each has shown potential over the past few years. Uh, both have had you know some solid overall games, some solid fourth quarter comebacks. Uh, Mariota did lead his team to the playoffs, I believe it was last year or the year before. Uh, they made the playoffs. Jameis has never really come close to the playoffs. So I guess you could give Mariota a slight leg up. But I, I think both have just been pretty flat-out disappointing. Um, I just don't see them just taking that next jump for a lot of young quarterbacks. It's, it's year three where they really make that big jump and they kind of show that all the NFL coaching and studying and game film and all that has really come to fruition. But with both of them, I just haven't seen it. And to be frank, as far as Jameis goes, I think he's just flat out dumb. Like, I, I just think he he's not a leader. He's not intelligent. He's just flat out dumb. Supremely talented, but stupid. Lacks self-awareness. Yeah. I mean, we can... The, the big example is his are his terrible pregame speeches. Licking his fingers. Lick that W. Licking that W. Sucking on his fingers as if he has finished eating chicken wings. It is obscure. It is weird. You can see everyone in the huddle. If you guys, if you haven't seen this, please go on YouTube and look this up. It, it It's astounding. He's a strange bird. His His most recent allegation, I believe, was also an argument over a phone charger. Which really speaks to to his character. Uh, he, I mean, I, I will say Mariota has never shoved his hands down in Uber driver's pants. Yeah. So he's got a leg up there. And for all of you liberals out there, all Donald did was talk about grabbing a crotch. Jameis actually did. No one's ever alleged that Donald grabbed their crotch without anyone's permission. Jameis legit did. And the media is glossing over this. But let's get back to stats and stuff, I guess. I'll, I'll get off politics. Everyone's looking at me sideways. Sorry, guys. I'm embarrassing you. Mup's scratching the back of his neck. He's looking away. He feels uncomfortable. This is not the direction okay. we want the podcast get to go. Okay, on. moving on. Jameis is more disappointing. Mariota is disappointing. Jameis even more so. Him and Fitzpatrick have split the amount of starts in the last 12 games, each starting six. Over that span, Fitz, 4-2. and two, Jameis, 1-5. and five. In that span... Fitzpatrick has shown far superior pocket awareness. The guy plays quarterback better than Jameis. He knows when to get rid of the ball, and he knows when to check into the correct play. Fitz over that span, only taking eight sacks. Jameis taking 22. 22 to eight in terms of sacks. And the offensive line has pretty much stayed the same over that course of time. Jameis fumbling seven times. Fitzpatrick fumbling zero. Mariota seems a little brittle. Seems scared to throw the ball down the field. Far lower yards per attempt over that time than Jameis or over their careers for that matter. Both guys have had yet to have a winning record as a quarterback. So um, over the aggregate, over the entire span of their career. So it really comes down to winning. The guys aren't winning. If you're simply going off of stats, Mariota, I believe, has to be your better of the two out of their careers so far. 
I would also like to mention, in my personal opinion, I think that Jameis Winston has had better weapons around him than Marcus Mariota ever has in mm-hmm. his career. Agreed. Although Mariota's offensive line is probably better, that doesn't necessarily equate when nobody is, is getting open. They can only protect you for so long. So I think that Mariota uh, turning the ball over less is always an advantage. So for me, it's hands down got to be Mariota off of the simple fact that he doesn't turn the ball over as frequently as Jameis Winston does. And that's just because Jameis has that, that gunslinger mentality that uh, I'm not necessarily sure he should have. And Marcus keeps his hands to himself. <laughs> Moving on to additional quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> I did try to promise that I would stay away from them, but it, it's pretty hard when they're the most spoken about a, across the sport. So far in fantasy football, the top five quarterbacks after three weeks, uh, points per week average, are Ryan Fitzpatrick at 34.5, Patrick Mahomes at 31.5, Drew Brees at 30.9, Matt Ryan at 26.9, and Cam Newton at 25.5. If you're closely listening, you would have noticed a little bit of a trend there. Four of those five quarterbacks are from the NFC South, and if any of you know football, and I'd hope you do if you're listening to this podcast, you'd realize that that's every single team starting quarterback. They're really playing out of their minds, all four of them collectively. Fitzmagic is having just a career start to the season uh, one of the best in NFL history, I believe I've Unprecedented, heard. Unprecedented, the only quarterback to throw for 400 yards in three consecutive games. That is correct. That was the stat that I did see earlier today. So as I said, they're, they're really booming in, 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 that, uh, in that regard. They're, they're carrying some fantasy teams throughout the first three weeks. But the question for me is, by the end of the year, will any other division's quarterbacks be able to compare to what the NFC South is doing right now? Um, I, I don't. I don't know if you could pick a particular division full of quarterbacks. Um, I, I picked two that I think could make their way into the top four or five at the end of the year. Uh, my first one was Philip Rivers. Uh, he's currently sitting at the seventh best fantasy quarterback. Uh, he's put up his three performances of thirty-one, twenty-three, and seventeen. Um, so I mean, he's got. You know, he's got elite weapons around him. He's got Keenan Allen. He's got Melvin Gordon. Austin Eckler looks pretty solid catching the ball out of the backfield. Uh, He's got Mike Williams in his first healthy season, really showing why he was a high draft pick. He looks really good. Uh, He looks really, really good. So I think that offense is really clicking. Um, Rivers even had a good game against the Rams this past week. Even though they lost, he still put up a pretty damn good fantasy performance. And then my other would be Jared Goff. Um, I think he's really taken off with Sean McVay. Um, I heard a lot of reports where Sean McVay is able to call the play and then give Goff the audible that he should use all before they shut off the communication to the helmet every play. So he's really turned him into a pretty stud of a quarterback. His performances are 17 to 19 to 26. So he's going up every single game so far. And I think the difference is now he has Brandon Cooks instead of Sammy Watkins. And I think he's already shown that he has a better relationship on the field with Cooks already than he ever did with Sammy Watkins, who really 
never really found his place in that kind of wide receiver trio between himself, uh, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup. So um, I think those two guys could really crack the top five or four fantasy quarterbacks at the end of the year here. I'm going to echo Dennis's sentiments, and I really want to touch on Phillip Rivers for a moment and uh, the Chargers as a whole. If they can overcome their, their coaching from Anthony Lynn, these guys have a real shot to make a, make a, make a strong charge through the latter portion of the season. Everybody's given them a lot, a lot of grief about their start, their rough one and two start, but these, they played the Chargers, pardon me, they played the Rams and the Chiefs to start the season. Two of pretty, the two best looking teams to start the year. They beat the Bills just how they should have, and moving forward, they've got a really soft schedule. Niners next, then Raiders, then Browns, then Titans, then Seahawks, Raiders again, Broncos, then Cardinals. Every single one of those is a winnable game. The only one I see being a challenge for them could be the Browns. The, Titan, the Titans stay in games, but Rivers, that's going to be at home. And, you know, Rivers wins his fourth quarters, I think, as long as he can avoid the coaching. In terms of quarterback play, Phil's set up to succeed. Melvin Gordon, Gordon is your poor man's Todd Gurley. I think that he's going he's gonna to play excellent. I got off Muff's topic, but I feel strongly about the Chargers, and I'm, I'm upset about the grief that they're catching so far. No one's given them credit for playing two of the, two of the best teams in football. I will quickly just mention some things that that may have gone overlooked. Um, Some guys that may not be in the mainstream as far as golf and rivers, I do agree with Dennis in that regard. I think that they have the best shot at cracking that top five with the guys that are at the top of the list currently. I do think one guy that could surprise you by the end of the year is Deshaun Watson. I think he just needs to figure it out. I know his offensive line is extremely poor, but he's he's one of those guys, uh, Russell Wilson-esque, that, that he makes things happen when he absolutely has to. Uh, another guy is Aaron Rodgers. You can't really ever count him out, even though he is playing on one leg. He is currently number 10 in my fantasy football league at 20.3 points per game. So that's not too bad. Roethlisberger... No matter what's happening in Pittsburgh, he will always be a possibility as well. But to really answer the question, I'm not sure we will ever see the amount of success from four quarterbacks in one division that we just saw in the first three weeks from the NFC South. It's it's truly impressive. Quickly, and, and you don't even necessarily have to give much of an explanation. If you're giving something off the wall, feel free to elaborate. Gun to your head. Super Bowl picks after week three. Rams, Jaguars. Patriots, Rams. You heard it here first. Those are the, those are the Super Bowl picks. Quick and off the top of the dome. We did see one major injury this past week, and uh, it, it was to the most handsome man in the NFL, in, in most people's opinion. Uh, you know, put him on the front of GQ, and I think uh, you wouldn't even necessarily know he was a football player. Does the loss of Jimmy Garoppolo make the 49ers the worst team in the NFL? When you lose a chin like that, it, it, it most certainly does make them one of the worst teams in the NFL. That roster is devoid of talent. They've had a, they've had a, a rash of injuries between him and McKinnon, two of the, their two biggest all-season signings, dollar-wise. It's... It's tough. It's leaving them in a rough spot. Sherman's already hurt. An aging veteran coming off an Achilles injury. He's hurt. Oh, who would have guessed it? I believe I also saw he's out two to three weeks. Confirmed. Yeah, Yeah. with a calf strain. Um, 
Yeah, they look rough, man. They've had a rap. They've had all their first round picks on the D line, but they still can't play any defense. Ruben Foster, statistically, missed more tackles than he made last week. Got it's all. Bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> That's real bad. What more needs to be said? said? Yeah, they got talent. These guys can run. They're a couple of years away. Yeah, I think it definitely hurts them. I mean, now you got to have C.J. Beathard play quarterback, who. From watching him at Iowa and then watching him so far in the NFL, I've just sh- surprised he is a quarterback in Nep- the NFL. Nep- nepotism, grandson um, of Bobby Beathard. Yeah, so <laughs> when you got that guy going out there throwing it, it's not going to be good. But I wouldn't say that makes him the worst. I think the Cardinals are still the worst team in football. They scored 20 points in their first three games total. 20. They're not even averaging a touchdown a game. And it so could far. get worse with Rosen, in my opinion. What do you what do you think? I, I think Rosen's gonna be apt to throw more picks. Sam Bradford's scared to throw the ball down the field. Yeah. He won't I, throw picks. I think Rosen will sling it around a little bit more and I think they have some potential. Um I mean they have David Johnson who, you know, is kinda off to a rough start so far, but you know, his last healthy season in twenty sixteen I think he had eighty catches and might have led the league in touchdowns or was up there in the top two or three. They have no idea how to use him, though. Yeah, That's so... That's the thing. They're not even scheming for their best player. David Johnson's touches are down 35%. Yeah, that's that's not going to get it done. So I, I think the Cardinals are right now the worst team in football, but the loss of Jimmy G makes the 49ers pretty darn close. Ugh. The Cardinals are up there for me. The Raiders are are also close, but I think on paper they're a little bit better. They're better. They're better than that record. (sighs) Gruden doesn't look bad. Gruden's catching a lot of grief. Everybody wants to jump on him. The scheme has looked modern. They're moving the ball. They're not finishing. Carr won't throw the ball down the field, and they can't get a pass rush. Who would have guessed it? (laughs) This guy's touchy this evening. I can't even get a statement in here about my opinion. Had a couple cocktails. So what it comes down to is I do agree with Dennis. The the Cardinals are about as about the about as bad as they come. I think the team that could surprise you at the end of the year being the worst team is possibly the Cowboys, and I really think that that would send their franchise into a a real downward tailspin. So we could we could see some things change in, in uh, as far as their head coach um, and, and some personnel changes. So. That's my personal opinion. I, I do think that the 49ers are going to be bad with Bethard. I don't think the pieces around him are all that great, especially as Terrell said, McKinnon is out for the year. So the the future doesn't look promising for them. Two quick stats to follow up on the Cardinals. They are currently averaging 58 rushing yards a game and 132 passing yards a game. 132. <laughs> what is Fitz, their identity? Fitzmagic has that a quarter. Mahomes has that a quarter. It's just, it's just pathetic. We will move on to the next topic for the evening. And after three weeks, whose offense is better? And this is just me personally ranking my two top offenses, which are obviously the Chiefs and the Rams. Feel free to expand on that if you have anyone else in competition with that. But speak on about best offense in the NFL. I don't think there's anybody within the frame of reference for uh, to even be in the discussion besides these two teams. Yep. They're excellent. I'm going to give the edge to the Rams. 
solely because they've done it for longer and they've done it on a far more consistent basis and they've they've shown over the course of now a season and almost a quarter that they can close games. I really like Sean McVay's philosophy. They close games. They do not take their foot off of the gas pedal. They are, conti- they are trying to continue to score the entire game, which is a big deal for me with, with the Ravens. We get a lead. We're up by 14 midway through the third quarter. The Ravens are coasting. They're trying to run clock. And happy with field goals. Yup, and that's how, that's how you lose games. The Rams are excellent. Sean McVay is, I think, you know, he's ascending. If not, he has already reached the peak of his ascension. I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan. Um, that dub. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, you'd be lucky if either of these two offenses were a part of your favorite team. Um, I guess I was going to say the Chiefs solely because I think receivers, you know, they're pretty close to being able to match what the Rams have. I don't think top to bottom they might not be as talented, but, you know, you have Tyreek Hill, and I think Conley's starting to show why he was – you know, uh, I think he was an early draft pick. But uh, I think one thing that can separate the Chiefs from the Rams is Travis Kelsey. Um, I think this guy is, you know, over the past couple of years, kind of overtaken Gronk. I, he's not as good as Gronk. I won't say that. But Gronk never stays on the field for more than, you know, eight or nine games a year. Travis Kelsey pretty much plays all 16 games every season. He's unguardable, former basketball player, knows how to get open. People can't watch him. So um, I think Travis Kelsey kind of separates them. Counterpoint. I will say that Travis Kelsey is surrounded by far more offensive talent than Gronk. Gronk is, I mean, we saw it this past week. Gronk is double covered. Yeah. Kelsey is surrounded by some of the most dynamic players in the league. And is, I mean, if you're double covering Kelsey, good luck having Tyree kill one-on-one out there. So I think you know once we see Josh Gordon enter the fold, once we see Edelman return, I think we're going to see a new Gronk. I think this is recency bias. I think everybody's jumping on him early on, yeah. not seeing the results out of Gronk. He's drawn two and three defenders every play. Yeah, they'll be much different. I mean, one more game until Edelman's back, and Sony Michelle has shown some flashes, and you still have James White. You'll get all those guys in the fold, so... Uh, no, they'll they'll join the Rams and the Chiefs when they get back in, in full swing there. For myself, I, I've got to give it to the Rams as well. I think as an entire team, they are better. The one place, as Dennis stated, that the, the Chiefs do have them by, by a smidgen is at, well, not really by a smidgen, but at tight end, Kelsey is far superior superior to Tyler Higbee. I stated this in the first podcast. I, I would have loved to have seen them take advantage of the talent in at tight end in the draft this year. I think that that would have brought their offense just to a whole new level to be able to have a guy that could uh, open up the middle of the field for them at tight end. As they stated, the Patriots, you can't ever count them out. I will state that every week if I have to. Uh, Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, in my opinion. No question. So, you, you, like I said, you can never count them out. Uh, another pretty good offense, I, I think, that could potentially put it together by the end of the year once they get over their injuries is the Eagles. Carson Wentz looked pretty good in his first week of football, and that's without Alshon Jeffrey. Mike Wallace was in a walking boot. I know he didn't play. Uh, he had a great, great cohesion with Dallas Goderick. I believe he may have had a touchdown called back. Um, 
Ertz had a great game. Aguilar had a so-so game. And, I mean, it was against the Colts, who have not impressed me. But, you know, it's his first game back, <clears throat> sort of getting his legs under him. I was I was impressed by him. And when you get Alshon back, I really do think that that changes your game. They also were without Jay Ajayi and Darren Sproles, which truly just changes your game plan. So I think the only one of the few other teams that might, by the end of the year, compete with the Chiefs and Rams on offense is the Eagles. Strong point there. I think you know the Eagles are really missing their wide receivers. No one has thrown more passes to their tight ends through three weeks than the than Philly. Wentz came out strong. Um, middle of the game was a little rough. That those scripted first ten plays look really good for them. He's still getting into the groove. It's tough to walk into game action immediately but he looked good didn't seem to be favoring that knee moving well so it's good to see him back Alshon will be back in a couple weeks these guys are confident in their ability I'm pretty sure the word is out there that they are holding Alshon out until he is absolutely 100% ready to go they are not desperate which is a good sign we will move to the defensive side of the ball and after three weeks getting rid of Khalil Mack looks to be one of the biggest mistakes that you could have made in the offseason he looks like he is a shoe-in for Defensive Player of the Year if he stays at even close to the pace that he is currently at. Is there anyone that can compete with him for Defensive Player of the Year? And if not, what are the chances that he wins MVP? So if I had to pick two guys that could possibly challenge him, I think he's the clear front runner right now. But if I had to pick two guys, my first would be Von Miller. Um, he had a pretty quiet game against the Ravens. I think the only time I heard his name called was for two offside penalties. Other than that, you know, he didn't touch Flacco. He didn't have a sack. He didn't have pretty much anything. But he is currently tied for the league lead in sacks, so you can never count him out. Um, and then the other guy would be Earl Thomas. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously he made a lot of noise in the offseason, not showing up i don't think he, he really wants to be a seahawk anymore but he, he, he isn't even practicing yeah, most of the week <laughs> i don't think it's that he doesn't want to be a seahawk this man just wants to get paid yeah with every time you practice every time you walk out on the field that's another risk of injury yep yeah i think at, at any point you know it's it's a great point i mean the guy could just be hurt at any point but Right now, he leads the league in interceptions. He's the constant uh, center fielder roaming it out there for them. Um, you always have to scheme your offense against him. So I'd say those two guys um, have a shot at at least challenging Mac. Yeah, I agree with Dub. Von Miller's showing out this year. J.J. Watt could be on that comeback trail. There's a bit of, uh, you know, the writers love J.J. We know this. Three sacks this past week. Was playing the run excellent for the first two weeks of the year. Really didn't get after the passer that well. So, J.J., and when it comes to speaking about a defensive player winning MVP, it has got to be an otherworldly performance. We haven't seen it in a long time. I don't really see it, see it being a possibility, especially with the way Mahomes is playing this year. At this point, it's, it's, his, it's his award to lose. Honestly, I had not even thought about Mahomes for MVP just because it sounds so unrealistic and something that I would have never thought about at the beginning of the year. But when you look at his stats and, and if he can manage to do maybe even half of what he has done so far for the rest of the year, he, he's got to be in that conversation. Back to the, the defensive player of the year, as far as a 
defensive end would potentially go. Demarcus Lawrence, he gets after the quarterback, plays for a really bad team. So if if they don't have any success, he would have a bad time. He would have a hard time surpassing Khalil Mack. Um, I am a big Demarcus Lawrence fan. One of the few other guys that I do agree about is Earl Thomas. He seems to be making plays just simply on how great of a football player he is. I heard earlier in the week he is showing up to practice and pretty much refusing to do anything, which me personally, I think is just a G move. Le'Veon isn't getting paid and Earl is, so I, I can definitely appreciate that. Last but not least, as far as MVP goes, the only way I think Khalil Mack could do this is if he kind of stays at the pace he is at currently, which he has a sack and a fumble force, I believe, in all three of the first games. It's an unsustainable pace. Which I do agree, but the question is, if he has the ability to keep somewhat of a pace, could he win MVP? The last defensive player to win MVP was Lawrence Taylor in 1986. That's when my older sister was born, and she's old as fuck. Old as shit. So looks it too. When it's been thirty two, I love you, Amanda. When it's been <laughs> can't let you in the club. When it's been thirty two years since a defensive player has won NFL MVP, I just don't see it happening. I think all the rules are geared towards helping the offense and offensive players. All the quarterbacks are the faces of their franchises, pretty much. So I just. I really don't see it maybe ever happening again. He did have 20 and a half sacks that season, which is just pretty incredible. Absurd. Unfortunately, on this, this quick uh, link that I found, yeah. he had uh, he didn't have any fumble recoveries, but I can't see fumbles forced. I'm sure it was some obnoxious number because he has physically almost murdered someone yeah. on the field. And only six crack rocks smoked that year. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, the power of cocaine. It drives <laughs> that engine. Him and Daryl Strawberry were definitely hanging, making long drives to each other in, in the state of New York. Oh, my goodness. Last but not least for the Week 3 recap, when do we actually start believing in the Dolphins? they got to beat the Patriots for me to believe, or even come close to believing in them. I mean, to me, at, at this juncture, as much as I love our, our good friend Field, it's an aberration. We will see. Game First game of the year was a wash. Anybody could have won that toss-up, the nine-hour thunderstorm game. I, It's going to take a little bit for me more to believe in the Dolphins, and number one, it's going to be beating the Patriots. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that that's my exact thinking as well. I will believe in them if they can beat the Patriots. They play them this week. It's in Foxborough. So even without Brady having a full force of weapons, I, I don't see them losing to the Dolphins. I'll, I'll be shocked. So Me either, yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, they stated it as simply as it possibly can be said until you beat the Patriots. Yeah, I can't have a whole lot of faith in you since you have to play them twice a year. That it, that'll do it for our week three recap. And we will move on to our week four picks and preview. Moving on to the week four picks and previews. Uh, looking back to last week, we definitely improved. Dennis was 10 and 6. Terrell was a consistent 10 and 6. And I increased to 8 and 8. We will start with the Thursday game at 8.20. The Vikings at 1-1-1 one, one, one against the Rams, who are 3-0 and oh in L.A. 
I'll go Rams here. I think they're the best team in football, and I think they win this one at home. Even though Everson Griffin won't be there channeling voices from the other side. I'm taking the Vikings here. A little bit of a bounce-back game. The Rams have got to come back to earth eventually. Mike Zimmer's going to have those guys fired up after an incredibly disappointing loss in Buffalo. I think it's going to be really hard to beat L.A. in L.A., whether it's really much of a home advantage or not. The travel is going to be a big deal. So I'm going to take the Rams as well. Moving on to the Sunday 1 o'clock games, the Jets at 1-2 and two in Jacksonville, who are 2-1. and one. I'll take the Jaguars here. Um, I think last week was your typical Bortles stinker, but I think they get back, and they're just that defense is way too good. Jags. Agreed. This is another Darnold learning curve game. That, that defense is way too good for Sam's pick happy right now. He gets under pressure. He's got guys around his leg. He's getting rid of that ball in the middle of the field, not outside of the numbers where he needs to be. Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville's defensive line is going to be able to get to Sam Darnold, so it's going to be hard for him to have an effective game. I will also take Jacksonville. Moving on to Dolphins 3-0 and in New England against the Patriots at 1-2. and I think New England sitting here at 7.5 uh, favorites, a little too high, but I think they still win. Uh, I think they're just too good at home here against the Dolphins. I'll take New England. Yeah, I'm going to take track record here as well. New England's my pick to come out of the AFC to go to the Super Bowl. I may look dumb in a few weeks, but this is what I think right now. I don't believe in the Dolphins. I don't believe in Tannehill. New England. Sorry, Field. We we just really don't have a whole lot of confidence in the Dolphins Solid just yet. Solid strength and conditioning program down there, though. Solid. We will stand behind that firmly. These guys I'm, look toned. I'm also going to take New England. The next 1 o'clock game is Eagles at 2-1 and one in Tennessee against the Titans. I'm going with my ginger Jesus, Carson Wentz. I think he builds off last week, tries to return to last season's form. I think the Eagles win here. Couple bumps on the road for Philly. Um, Carson's going to be up and down. This is his preseason. Our guy has not played. I'm taking Tennessee here. These guys aren't getting blown out in any games. This is a playoff team from last year. Quarterback situation is muddy. Mariota's going to play. Weak hand and all. The combination of Mariota and Gabbert really turned me away from Tennessee this week. I think the fact that they're two and one speaks to how Mike Vrabel. Uh, is doing a great job there, but I don't think they have enough firepower to surpass the Carson Wentz Eagles. I am also taking Philadelphia. The next 1 o'clock game, Texans 0-3 in Indianapolis against the Colts at 1-2. and two. I'll take the Colts here just because they're home. It's a toss-up game, but I think uh, Grandpa Vinatieri hits a late field goal and Colts win. I'm going to go Houston here. It's time for them to turn it around. I'm one of the only Bill O'Brien fans on earth. If Bill doesn't win, he's going to get the hook. That's what it seems like. I'm taking Bill here in a do-or-die back-against-the-wall game. I'm a Deshaun Watson guy. I have a lot of faith in him. I think his performance so far in the year has been kind of a fluke, even though fantasy-wise he has performed pretty well. Nuck and Will Fuller are going to get their touches. I'm going to take Houston in Indianapolis, uh, probably by only a couple of points. Next is Bills at 1-2 and two against the Packers in Green Bay, 1-1-1. One, one one. I'll take Green Bay here. Um, they have Aaron Rodgers, of course, and just more of a talented team overall. Clay Matthews probably gets another roughing the passer, but I think Packers win. I'm going to take Packers as well. Um, Bills are going to come back to earth a little bit. Those guys were hyped for that last game, but 
Josh Allen might, might make a few flash plays. Green Bay's defense doesn't scare me, but even 60% of Aaron Rodgers is enough for me. Speaking around this huddle, we are all sort of impressed with what Josh Allen was able to do last week, but we are seen as somewhat of a fluke as far as beating teams that are far superior to them. I'm also going to take Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers leads them to a pretty easy win. Moving on to the next 1 o'clock game. Lions at 1-2 and two after a Patriots victory in Dallas against the Cowboys, who are also 1-2. and two. I'll take the Cowboys here. Um, they always play better at home in Jerry World there. Um, so I think it's a horrendous game to watch, but I think the Cowboys win. I think the Cowboys are doomed. This is a back-against-the-wall game for both teams, pretty much a playoff game. I'm thinking Detroit here, um, coming off their high. Against New England last week, these guys are ready to play. It seems like they're buying into Patricia. We saw a little locker room footage after the game. These guys were dancing around him. They're celebrating with him. Running in the opposite direction of that narrative that they don't like him. I think uh, I think they believe in Patricia. I think these guys are going to come out and get a W. Matt Stafford might have caught some rhythm after a Patriots W. That's a big win for them. Uh, I think the Cowboys are headed in the wrong direction. I'm going to go with Detroit as well in Probably the worst game of the week. Next is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Chicago against the Bears. Both teams are 2-1. and one. I'll go Bears here. Um, there's no one on that Bucks O-line who's going to be able to stop Khalil Mack. Um, I think he kind of wrecks havoc there, so I'll take the Bears. I'm going to go Bucks here. As I spoke to earlier, Fitzpatrick has a, a knack for getting rid of the ball when he needs to. I think he's going to be very aware of Mac coming off that edge. That Harvard education is coming to play. The Harvard hammer is going to come out. In the face of adversity, James is going to be back. He's going to be in the sideline. He's going to be suited up, but he's going to be sitting there thinking about crab legs and not about touchdowns. Bucks. I will also be taking the Bucks. I think this simply because Khalil Mack can't single-handedly outscore Tampa Bay and old Fitzmagic, he's gonna he's gonna keep on the pace that he's at currently. Well, maybe not the pace he's at currently, but something similar to it, and keep that starting job. Bucks. Last but not least for the one o'clock games, the Bengals at two and one in Atlanta against the Falcons, who are one and two. I think I'll go Falcons here. Um, you know. Bengals don't really play that well on the road. No Joe Mixon again this week. Uh, Giovanni Bernard, the midget, doesn't really scare me running the ball. So I think Atlanta wins a close game at home. I think, I mean, at Cincinnati 2-1, Atlanta 1-2. This is a regression or progression to the mean here for each team. They're going to both end up at 500. Atlanta's going to take the win. Giovanni Bernard and his stupid minivan aren't going anywhere. Atlanta this guy has watched his fair share of hard knocks. I like that shout-out right there. I'm also going to take Atlanta. I just don't see them losing at home. They lost a close game to New Orleans last week where Drew Brees really just sort of willed his team to a win. I see Atlanta bouncing back and beating a red-headed lead Bengals. Moving on to 405, the Seahawks at 1-2 and two against the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona who are 0-3. I think in just another dreadful game on this Sunday slate, uh, Rosen getting the nod here starting against that Seattle defense. They're not what they used to be, but they still got Earl Thomas back there. So I think Rosen throws a bunch of picks. They're just all around bad. I'll take Seattle here. 
Yeah, I'm going to take Seattle as well. Hopefully Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright back in the fold as well. Um, it'll be well chronicled over the future podcast that I am not a fan of Josh Rosen. I'm excited to see him get hit. I'm excited to see him take an <laughs> L. And I'm excited to see my man, Pete Carroll, get that W. I will also be taking Seattle. It's kind of hard not to. The Gordles are a dumpster fire. I think it'll be enjoyable to potentially see Russ with a little bit of time if they could manage to chip uh, Jamie Collins a couple of times so he doesn't necessarily hurt Russ. I'm going to take Seattle as well. The other 405 game on Sunday, the Browns at 1-1-1 one, one, and one against the Oakland Raiders, who are 0-3. I'm going to go on a limb here, and I'm going to say that the Browns put together a winning streak. They get their second straight W. Baker plays well here. Um, I think they pull it out on the road. It's hard to win games against quarterbacks that you don't have much film on. I don't think the Raiders will be prepared for old Bake. And I'm, I'm going to take Cleveland as well because they simply are a superior team. Yeah, without Mac on defense right now, the Raiders' D is pretty much toothless unless Arden Key comes out to have a you know college game. I think that guy's going to come on, make a couple plays later in the year, but now is not the time. The Browns are hot. Baker mania has begun. Browns. Moving on to 425 on Sunday, the Saints at 2-1 in New York against the Giants 1-2. I'm going to take the Saints here. I think they're just way more talented than the Giants. Um, I look at Drew Brees versus the Rain Man, Eli Manning, Give me Brees any day of the week. I think Kamara has another 100-yard receiving performance to add to his gaudy stats so far, Saints. Taking Saints as well, I don't think it's much of a discussion here. Uh, Giants aren't ready. They shouldn't have drafted Saquon. They need a quarterback. Eli's washed up. I will also be taking the Saints. The performance that Drew Brees had last week really shows what type of uh, attitude he's taking towards this season. It's hard to ever choose against him when when he's performing in in that nature. I'm, I'm a Drew Brees guy. And when you put him in a in a shootout against Captain Eli, it, it's uh it's hard not to take Breeze. I'm gonna take New Orleans. The other 4:25 game is the 49ers without the most handsome man in the NFL at one and two against the Chargers, who are also one and two in LA. I'll go Chargers here easily. Um, this Niners team, like we stated before, just. Without Jimmy G, they're not very good. I think Chargers win very easily. Aside from that fabulous jawline, the Niners are also without Dick Sherman this week. Those receivers are going to tear them up. I'm seeing the Chargers taking that W. It's hard to. It's going to be hard to choose the 49ers the rest of the way throughout the year with old Bethard under under the helm. He is a a very poor NFL quarterback. Uh, he, yeah, he's he's just really bad. It's, Nepotism it's, personified. It's a family game. We all know this. It's hard not to take L.A. here. Uh, they've lost to two good teams. They have a great offense. Their defense will pick it up and, and figure things out. Definitely taking the Chargers. Last Sunday night, uh, the last Sunday game of the day, the Baltimore Ravens 2-1 against the Steelers 1-1-1 at 8.20 p.m. 
Regretfully, I'm going Pittsburgh here. Uh, this series is, is always close over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Um, just because Pittsburgh at home, they're coming off a big Monday night win. They get Artie Burns and Joe Hayden back to kind of boost that defense a little bit. Um, Joe Hayden in his 1,200 pairs of shoes. Yeah, yeah. So regretfully, I'm going Pittsburgh here. Yeah, I'm going to regretfully go Pittsburgh as well. We got burned by Baltimore when we were talking about them versus Cincinnati a couple weeks ago. It's tough, um, but I'm siding with Baltimore's own Joe Hayden here. This is a tightly contested matchup every time. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows the home team usually comes out with the edge. I'm still down a couple hundred bucks from last year being in Pittsburgh watching that game. Drinking my sorrows away after a heartbreaking loss. Pittsburgh. I've stated in earlier podcasts it's going to be few and far between that I ever go against the Ravens when I see that their roster is more superior to the team that's standing across from them. I will take the Ravens. Last but not least, the Monday night game at 8.15 p.m., the Kansas City Chiefs 3-0 in Denver at 2-1. I'm definitely going KC here. I don't see that Denver defense being able to slow down that offense. Um, no more keep to lead, so I think that no fly zone is no more. Um, so I'm going to go Chiefs here. I'm going to speak to the contrarian point of view. I may be the only person you hear all week say that they think Casey's going to lose here, but Pat Mahomes has yet to face a strong pass rush. Bradley Chubb's coming into his own. Von Miller is Von Miller. This is a gut pick. I'm taking Denver. I would find it hard to believe that in any scenario Denver is able to stop the Kansas City offense since they had such a hard time stopping the Baltimore Ravens offense. Maybe get Tyreek about as high as you can since weed is legal there. It's a great place. You still probably aren't going to be Kansas City. I'm going to take Kansas City. That will sort of wrap up our week four preview, but Terrell does have one quick shout-out. Guys, I need you to do me a favor this week. We're going to shout it out on the Instagram profile. We're going to link you to the article. We're going to show you the great headline picture. Do us a favor and read the Russell Wilson article. It's a throwback from 2015. It's called Russell Wilson, the Chosen One on Rolling Stone. Do us a favor. Google Russell Wilson, Rolling Stone. The article will be the first thing that pops up. Tell us your thoughts after reading it. We'll discuss it at length next week. Moving on to my favorite part of the podcast, uh, the hashtag Sunday superlatives. We will start with the defensive play of the day, trying to highlight some great uh, plays from defenders where they're starting to catch a lot of scrutiny with the different rule changes. I would like to start with the J.J. Watt strip sack. It was the first uh, sack of his year. It was on third down in the second quarter while the Giants were inside the red zone. So it forced a field goal. He absolutely dusted the right tackle. It, it, it uh, reminded you of peak J.J. Watt. It was something that you know, you'd like to see moving forward if you love the game. Yeah, my defensive, best defensive play of the week was the Earl Thomas interception where uh, he pinned it against his foot. Uh, pretty impressive athletic play and, and great concentration here. Um, guys still getting it done, and somebody needs to pay the man. My defensive play of the week is going to be Bradley Chubb, his first of many sacks for the Denver Broncos, absolutely demolishing 
the flaccid force on the left side of our offensive line for Baltimore, the total lack of muscle tone for Ronnie Stanley really stood out as Bradley walked all over him and a chip from our left guard to sack Joe on the first drive of the game. The amount of ways that he has found to describe Eugene Monroe's lack of muscle tone is just impressive. We will move on to best throws of the week, and I would like to start with Patrick Mahomes, who is the frequently talked about quarterback, having such a great year. He took a shotgun snap and scrambled for close to five seconds, broke a tackle or two, and on the run threw an absolute missile to Chris Conley for a touchdown. I automatically texted Terrell and just said that he has an absolute cannon. It's a throw that not a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL can make on the run. Uh, Truly a thing of beauty. Yeah, my best throw of the week was the uh, soulless daywalker, Andy Dalton, with a uh, dropping in a Dofer dime, a 35-yard corner to A.J. Green. Um, it was off his back foot, had guy tackling him low, dropped in and over two Panther defenders. Was was an impressive throw. My most impressive throw of the week is going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick coming back off a three-interception second quarter, um, coming out of the half strong, still believing in himself. The mark of a true veteran going out there, throwing the ball down the field, slinging it to Chris Godwin at that corner of the end zone for a comeback touchdown. Next, we will move on to the best overall play of the day, of the weekend, I guess you could say. My vote goes to Drew Brees when he hit them with the spin cycle. He essentially baited two Atlanta Falcons defenders into over-pursuing and quickly spun back to where they weren't and then dove into the end zone for the game-tying Uh, rushing touchdown he's looking spry he's looking good I'm liking the way he's controlling the game Drew Drew Brees for that seven yard touchdown you you don't see many plays like it my best overall play was uh, Cooper Cup with a big touchdown in that game Um, he caught the ball then dragged the defender for about five yards and then shook him off said get off me little boy and ran into the end zone for a big touchdown when it comes to plays of the week we got to talk about Taysom Hill. New Orleans Saints, third-string quarterback. Took a step behind Teddy Two Gloves. But my man, he came in, he re- he played the read option, made the correct read, came off on a 35-yard run down the field, dragging people behind him. Him and his tremendously large family jewels. The word on the street from BYU Barstool in the comment section is that Taysom is hung. Guys and girls, um, not many people can compare. We've heard of comparisons to Greg with the third leg from the Carolina Panthers. But Taysom and all of his grand family jewels running down the field. My play of the week. Taysom, you better believe we're coming for you. We want you on this podcast. We do. We can't go uh, speaking about the best overall play without mentioning Vance McDonald uh, putting Chris Conti potentially into retirement after partially taking his soul that was one of the more incredible stiff arms that i've ever seen in my life i I think he knocked his soul out of his body may he rest in peace moving on to the fantasy surprise player of the next week uh looking forward to week four uh i believe that carry on johnson will be 
turning in a potential second 100-yard rushing game in a row against the poorest Cowboys. Uh, That's a guy I have a lot of faith in. Yeah, my fantasy surprise for week four, uh, I went with Josh Allen here. I think the rookie quarterback can really build off of what he did in Minnesota there. He had three total touchdowns, really showed off what he can do with his legs. So I think in a game in Green Bay where they may be playing behind frequently, I think uh, he can really kind of possibly have a good fantasy game, may get you a lot of garbage points. You're right, Dennis. Great set of legs on that guy. My fantasy pick of the week is going to be Robert Woods from the L.A. Rams, a.k.a. Bobby Woods. Um, This is a selfish pick on my part. He lost the game for me because I had him on the bench. He had 29 points, came out with two touchdowns. Tough to do amongst all the other weapons there in L.A. You're welcome, Dan Kremens. He won't be on the bench much longer for me. He's got a strong outlook going forward. That guy's a consummate pro, constantly looked over, great route runner, great player, Robert Woods. This is the next Sunday superlative for us, seeing as we have so many rookie quarterbacks getting ready to start this upcoming week. Who do we feel will be the most likely to succeed over the span of 2018? I myself, I'm going to go ahead and just take Baker. The weapons that he has around him are superior to any of the other rookie quarterbacks, in my personal opinion. Uh, Juice Juice will get the job done, I think, and Joku will become a player that you have to reckon with. Uh, I think they have a lot of potential there, and and not having any film, granted, it will be the rest of the quarterbacks as well. It, it's hard to prepare for, so when you have a supporting cast, it's it's really going to be hard to defend. Yeah, I love Baker as well. Um, you know, I'd like to throw in another name here. I'm going to go Josh Rosen. Um, He's getting the start this week. Might be a tough first outing against that Seahawks defense, but I think he's got, you know, solid weapons there. Um, You know, he's got Hall of Fame receiver Larry Fitz. He's got the rookie receiver Christian Kirk, who had a great game this past week. He's got an up-and-coming tight end that no one really knows about, Ricky Seals-Jones. And then David Johnson. Um, This guy's a stud uh, like Terrell hit earlier. They just need to figure out to get him the ball, feed him the ball, I think it'll really help Rosen with his involvement. Hot take. Ricky Seals-Jones could be a potential great pickup for fantasy in in the future. Staying on the Ricky Seals-Jones train, former number one receiver coming out of high school. He ate his way out of the position at A&M. Wound up being a tight end. Um, If he doesn't eat his way into being an offensive tackle, I think he's (laughs) going to be someone to reckon with moving forward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to Mupp here. I think Baker's going to be the guy. Um, if anybody shows that Tyrod Taylor's not an adequate NFL quarterback, it's Baker. I don't really get the hype for Tyrod or Tyrod or whatever we want to call him. Baker was able to go in there, and in the face of the blitz, he was blitzed on 50% of the plays that he had, and he was still able to produce. Him and Tyrod were blitzed on the same amount of plays. Baker was able to handle it. Tyrod was not. I think Baker's got a lot of weapons, as we said before. He's going to be able to slice and dice. He's got a great offensive coordinator in Haley. Baker. Just to expand one last point on Baker, if you've never seen the video of him dancing in front of the rest of his team, you should go and check it out because it's it's relatively captivating when you see how much he can affect his team in general. They love him. Looking back to the year 2009 at Westminster High School, Omup won Best Dressed. 
So, since it's his birthday week, we'll go ahead and name the best dress of 2018 so far. Uh, my vote goes to the Cleveland Browns on Thursday night against the Jets. They look smooth, and, and that's not something I thought I'd ever be able to say about the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I'm going to go with the new Jag, uh, Jaguars uniforms. Uh, they got rid of those hideous two-tone fade, whatever the hell they were going for, helmets. Uh, they went back to you know just a standard solid color helmet. Um, and their jerseys, their home jerseys that green, teal, whatever you want to call it, look sharp with the plain white numbers. I think all of it really flows well together. So I, I like the Jags, new unis. I'm going to go Bengals here on a couple steps back to week one. I love something simple. I love black and white. The all-white top, the black and white Bengal Tiger. Striped pants to match their helmets. I think they look good. Clean is all we're asking for. The cocaine whites make fast people look a whole lot faster than they might actually be. That will about wrap up things for us, other than one last point about those helmets. Those awful helmets for the Jaguars really made Blake Bortles look worse than he may have actually performed sometimes. Thank you guys for tuning in this evening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please reach out and give any suggestions, comments that you might have. We could potentially include the questions in into next week's episode. Um, again, thanks for tuning in. The Instagram and Twitter are 2G1C Podcast, all one word. Have a good rest of the night. Free Bill Cosby, bring back them pudding pops.